Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So for any of you who want to support the show, you can subscribe to Craving More, which is my premium content. You get two extra episodes every month. Um, And for those of you that don't want to subscribe but still want to support the show, please uh, leave a rating or a review, you know, leave some comments, leave some stars. That helps us podcasters so, so, so much. It's basically like tipping your podcaster. So uh, if you would just take the time to do that, I would very much appreciate that. Today I'm going to be doing a review of a phenomenal episode of the Ed Milet Show. It's called Eating Your Way to Health with Dr. William Lee. So I'll, I'm excited to review that episode in a few minutes. First, just a few personal updates. So first, let's get into my mental health check-in. So this week has been really good. Um, I mentioned on my last episode that I was going to cut back on my processed sugar this week. So, you know, leading from last week when I recorded into this week, I've drastically reduced the intake of processed sugar. Um, I didn't drink that much over the past, you know, over that weekend. So, so my mental health is pretty good. I feel, I feel a little leaner. I feel just, you know, I've been eating just a lot of fruit and healthy foods. So, um, I think all that helps with my mental health. Um, I've gotten a lot accomplished this week, so that's always good. And we're heading into a holiday weekend. Fourth of July is coming up. So I'm going to have a little time off, which I'm very excited about. So mental health is good. And I hope all of yours is as well. Now to get into my diet culture media moment, I don't have anything really new except this this thought that I had recently from, so I mentioned this woman before she's in her eighties. She was on the Heather McDonald podcast recently, and she used to be, she has fascinating stories because she used to be this, um, like a, what's it called? Stockbroker with, uh, Goldman Sachs. And so, and one of the only females at the time to do it. So she was wildly wealthy, you know, put up with a lot of sexual harassment and all kinds of crazy stories that she has. I mean, she was friends with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, she has, again, some really crazy stories about that. So I highly recommend you go and listen to that episode. But she had had made a comment about how she was still dieting in her 80s and, you know, how she was just disgusted that there's so many obese people in the world and, you know, so many people were over 300 or 400 pounds. And, you know, she's making all these, like, very shocking comments And, you know, coming from somebody in their 80s, of course, you know, she was very entrenched with diet culture, you know, growing up and, you know, especially being in a in a male driven world on Wall Street. Um, But it just made me think about how, you know, when I was young and very much entrenched in the torture that was, you know, this idea of diet culture and you know, this was when I felt like I had to be on the treadmill for an hour and I had to sweat and I had to like burn a certain amount of calories and, you know, only eat protein and vegetables and, you know, all this, all this bullshit that really is not real. We just kind of felt like we had to do that. Um, I mean, I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm old and I can just let myself go and <laughs> not care anymore. And, you know, I, I thought I had like this future was me, you know, reaching a certain age where I just kind of, you know, quote unquote, like, let myself go. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, yeah, when I'm older, I won't care. Um, you know, and now 20 years later, you know, as, as I get older, I, of course, I care about my body and my health and, and even more what I'm putting into my body as fuel. Uh, the good thing, though, is that you know, I've gotten out of that torture mentality where I don't feel like I need to torture myself anymore. I know I can have balance and eat whatever the hell I want, not all the time, not as much as I want all the time. You know, I want to have balance. I want to have nutrient-dense whole foods that I eat because that just makes me feel good. And now that I'm more focused on 
what makes me feel good? How do I want to move through my day? How do I, what foods affect my, my mental health? What, you know, how do I feel after I eat certain foods? You know, like I love donuts, but I know eating donuts on a regular basis, I don't feel good. Like it does make, like bloats my stomach and it, it, you know, that sugar high and that insulin, you know, raising my insulin, it doesn't necessarily feel good to my body. Now it tastes good going down, but do I want to do that every single day? No, because I won't feel my best. And so now it's more about how do I feel energized? You know, like how do I want to, you know, feel throughout the week? I want to feel lean. I want to feel strong. And so what am I going to feed myself and, and fuel myself with in order to feel that way? So, you know, and those are a lot of the intuitive eating principles, um, you know, I've incorporated them into more of like an intuitive weight management where, <clears throat> you know, I do eat foods that make me feel good. And I also eat really indulgent foods. But, you know, if I am eat too much, I do have to have some restriction, you know, some restriction is important because, you know, if you, if you have certain health goals, you know, you do want to maintain those. So that's, that's where I coined that intuitive weight management concept that um, I talked about on on the last episode of Craving More. Um, I do have a little uh, bit about, you know, my concept of intuitive weight management on my website. Um, I did just launch my website. It's at thedietobsessed.com. Um, it's not completely done. I still have to update some of the pictures, but... Uh, there is all about my idea of intuitive weight management. So if you didn't hear my last episode because you're not a subscriber, you can go read about it on my website if you'd like to. Um, so anyway, that was my thoughts about that diet culture media moment. Um, she she popped into my Instagram feed again this week. So I I was just thinking about and reflecting about you know, when I used to think about when I was going to be her age and, and what would my mindset be at, at her age. And, and again, it's totally changed as I got, as I've gotten older into just that, like, I want to, I do want to look and feel my best as I get older, um, but not be ingrained and entrenched in that torture diet culture mode. So thankfully I've left that in the past. Okay. And now for my one of my favorite segments, Tasty Treats of the Week. So let's see. So after I recorded last week, I I talked about on my last episode of Craving More that I, I had been on this like tear of eating ice cream with Jimmy's, these like chocolate sprinkles. And I was just like getting into this like almost like addictive pattern with it and just falling a little bit out of balance with how much processed sugar I was eating. And so I just wanted to kind of cut back on that. And so when I went grocery shopping last week, I ended up buying a bunch of fruits, like lots of strawberries and cherries and nectarines and peaches, you know, satisfy my sweet tooth and, but eat, you know, whole foods and, you know, going into the weekend, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have, you know, indulgent savory foods, you know, fried foods, whatever I want. Um, but I wanted to choose some lighter things. And I also wanted to stay away from processed sugar and desserts and ice cream and, and that type of thing and just eat fruit if I wanted something sweet. So we, Chad and I scootered over for a little date night on Friday to this local Asian restaurant called Ling and Louie's. And Chad's been on a little bit of a, he's, he's trying to lose some weight for our upcoming trip to Europe. And he, he's trying to stay away from the candy because sometimes I'll go into his office and he's got all these like candy wrappers in his, in his trash can. So, I mean, he knows that if he actually wants to shed some pounds, he's probably got to stay away from some of that candy. But, um, but he's been, you know, eating a lot more chicken and, you know, higher protein, lower carb, uh, and he, so he wanted to, he wanted to go someplace where he could, he could have lighter options available to him. So, you know, Asian food is great for that. So we scooted over and, uh, I had this great cocktail. I posted a picture on it, 
on my Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast if you want to go check it out, uh, along with all the food I'm about to mention. But the cocktail was called the Empress, and it looked uber, uber sweet, but it was not that sweet. It was actually really tart and delicious. So that was good. And I had a couple of those. And then I wanted to order something a little bit lighter, but also satisfying. So I, and I had been craving sushi a little bit for whatever reason. And I usually don't like to order sushi in Arizona because, you know, we're landlocked. I'm from Maine. We get the best seafood in the world in Maine. And, you know, I've California too. So I've, you know, I've been spoiled with excellent, excellent sushi. But I think I've just seen it on a lot of Instagram posts lately. So I was kind of craving sushi. So I ended up um, getting this yellowtail roll and I ordered some, it had this like gross red, like, I don't know what it was. It, it was some kind of sauce maybe, but it was like this dollop of like, it was kind of like a, like a, it had a weird texture. It was almost like a slimy gel-like texture. Anyway, needless to say, I scraped that off and just dipped it in some wasabi and soy sauce, which is my favorite. So I had that. It was okay. Uh, I should have ordered that first because I'm not a huge raw fish person. I do need, I, I do prefer like a roll over sashimi because it's just of the texture. But, um, but anyway, I, I should have ordered that first because I was starving when I got there. And sushi is always going to taste better if it's the first thing that you eat. So I should have done that. I ended up ordering it last. It was still, it was still pretty good. Uh, and I did get some chicken lettuce wraps and Chad and I also shared some steak lettuce wraps. I, I tried one of the steak lettuce wraps. I didn't really like it. I don't know the texture of steak, like the chewiness of like the fat that's in it. Ugh, I didn't like that with the lettuce. I, you need like some bread to absorb some of that chewiness from fat. I don't know. I just didn't like it. Uh, but the chicken, the chicken ones were good. And so, and yeah, and I didn't eat any dessert, you know, I, I did still have some of the, some of these dark chocolate peanut butter cups in the freezer. So over the weekend, I did have a couple of those, but mainly stayed away from, you know, processed sugar all weekend. I did have some alcohol, but not a crazy amount. Saturday I had a sangria and we went to another Asian restaurant and I had some Kung Pao, so with brown rice, so nothing too crazy. Uh, I, that night didn't have any, you know, heavy desserts or anything like that. So that was good. Sunday, I ended up getting, so on, when I'd gone grocery shopping, I had gotten, cause I still wanted to eat somewhat indulgent on Sunday, but not just go off the rails with like a million pounds of ice cream. Like I typically do. So I ended up getting this small, like deep fried pizza from Trader Joe's the week before. It's that pesto one. I've talked about it before. It's so friggin' good. And you may be asking, like, do you really need to deep fry pizza? You don't need to. Okay. Like all the other pizzas from Trader Joe's are really not that good. I've tried a bunch of them, but this one, this deep fried one is so good. I think it's worth the calories because when you cr crunch into this crust, it's flaky. It's, oh, it's, it's so tasty. I cannot even tell you how good this is. So, so yeah, so eat half of that. Chad had the rest and I did break down and I did make some Rice Krispie squares. Now I did add a little bit of a healthier element to it because I did add this high fiber brand cereal you know, along with some cornflakes and some Rice Krispies. So it was, you know, it was a no, sh no sugar added cereal. So at least, you know, that was okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I had the stuff to make them and I was of course craving lots of sugar and it was before my Monday, which is, you know, I like to be extra indulgent on a Sunday before I get back on my really healthy whole food kick for the week. So I, I let myself make these and indulged in them a little bit and, ate most of them that night with Chad. I'm such a bad influence sometimes. It's like he wants to lose weight. He's not bringing the candy in. I made those. So I, I can be a bad influence on him sometimes. He wants it, but he doesn't want it, but he does want it, but he doesn't want it. It's kind of one of those like push-pull things. And so I try not to be a bad influence, but it's like 
I just wish he would be disciplined when I'm disciplined and indulgent when I'm indulgent, but that doesn't always uh, fall in line as, as most relationships. So, so anywho, so anyway, got, got, got that eaten and Monday started, you know, back on the real focused whole food kick with, you know, I made salmon so that I could, you know, break my fast with pure salmon. Salmon's a superfood, so, so high in protein and good fats. So I always feel really good having that as a breakfast. And then I did my superfood smoothie. So I call it my superfood anti-aging weight loss smoothie because it really, so I feel like this is the smoothie that I used to make a decade ago when I had really tough financial problems going on. And I was like, okay, what can I, I can't afford the Botox. I can't afford these skin treatments. So what can I do from like just naturally to nourish my skin and improve, improve my skin and slow down my aging process and, you know, help me just with my overall health. And the answer I came up with was, incorporating as many quote unquote superfoods as I can into my everyday diet as consistently as I possibly can. And that's when I started, you know, making that salad that had the red bell peppers because red bell peppers are a superfood. And, you know, in this smoothie, it's got green tea for fat burning. It's got, you know, chia seeds with the omegas. It's got, you know, avocado, which is great for the elastin in your skin and the fiber. And, you know, as I'm about to review in this podcast, you'll hear there's all kinds of additional benefits. You know, it's got the blueberries and raspberries. Sometimes I put strawberries into it, spinach, I mean, all these good things. So I do have the recipe for that on my website at thedietobsessed.com. So if you want that recipe, you can go get it. I'm not saying it's the most delicious smoothie out there, okay? This is a disclaimer. There's many more tasty, delicious, you know, higher sugar smoothies out there. This one is incredibly, incredibly low in sugar and the stuff that's in it is specifically meant for weight loss, weight maintenance, high fiber, anti-aging, all of all of the good stuff that I I like to focus on for my wellness. So, so that's been this week getting back into salmon in the morning, that smoothie that I eat for a few hours that kind of brings me to dinner and then I'll have my dinner whether that's a salad and, you know, some high protein bread or, you know, my turkey taco, my turkey, turkey meat taco, whatever. So anyway, this week has been, you know, when I'm craving sugar at night, I'll eat some of those cherries. I'll eat some strawberries. So this week has been back to that whole foods kick, really focused on nutrient dense, high protein, Um, and I'm still staying away from the high processed sugar. Just, I'm feeling good. want to keep that going, especially as I head into this holiday weekend. I want to feel really good. And it really plays into what I'm about to talk about on this next podcast review. This was from the Ed Milet show. It's called Eating Your Way to Health with Dr. William Lee. Okay, so let's get into this podcast review right now. All right, so so let's get into the podcast review from the Ed Milet Show. Now, I think I've maybe done a couple of, maybe one or two of Ed's shows in the past. I like his show. He's, an, he's a very, very, very successful entrepreneur, motivational speaker. He has all kinds of businesses. Um, and his podcast is often about like self-help, um, you know, life hacks, that type of thing. But he's also really into health and nutrition and anti-aging and all, all that kind of stuff. So I, those are the ones I typically listen to. Um, he's in great shape. Like he definitely lifts weights. Like you can see he takes really, really good care of himself. He's all into like the, the biohacking, you know, how to reverse the aging process. And I love all that stuff. So, so he had on his guest, uh, on as a guest, Dr. William Lee. And Dr. Lee is, he's, he's a really um, successful 
uh, entrepreneur, doctor, scientist, researcher, and um, and he started this uh, this nonprofit that's all about angiogenesis. And so we'll get into that in this review. So Ed's starting out talking about you know what everyone's talking about the whole Ozempic craze. So he's he's basically saying that you know we're recording this in Hollywood. He's like everybody's thin here. He's he's like I'm not sure if it's from taking people are taking these shots like Ozempic or one of those other brands. He's like but if you see someone that's rapidly losing weight, they're probably taking one of these drugs, right? He's like what's the mechanism that's making everyone lose weight? And what's your thought on these drugs? This is what Ed was asking Dr. Lee. And Dr. Lee said, yeah, he's like, it's it's the biggest new trend in the weight loss industry. He's like, you know, crash diets have been around forever, but now we're looking at prescription drugs, which is a whole new ball game. He said the last time prescription drugs were this popular, it was during the opioid crisis. And we as doctors have to look at this idea of being complicit. You know, is there a real medical need for it, like obesity or diabetes, or does my patient just want it to get thinner? And so he he has a problem with patients demanding something, and then the doctor's just, you know, acquiescing and just writing these prescriptions. And so Ed was like, well, I think back to the FenFen days. That's actually, it's funny, because when Ed said that, I was like, that's what I thought, too. Because when he's like, we're now into this new phase of prescription drugs, I was like, well, what about FenFen? Um, so Ed's like, yeah, I think back to the FenFen days. And, you know, people wanted wanted it for weight loss, but then everyone's dying from heart attacks or heart issues. And Dr. Lee said that these drugs, these semaglutide drugs, were originally made for diabetes. And... You know, our body is hardwired to control metabolism. And really what's connected to our metabolism is the food, is the fuel or food we give it. And food is often demonized as the reason that we're gaining weight. And these drugs are combating obesity by cutting off our desire to eat. So it addresses a specific receptor in our brain. It's called the GLP-1 receptor. And that receptor makes us want to eat. So when that is triggered, it can block our desire to eat. And Ed said that some of my friends have gotten very sick and nauseous. They vomit all the time from taking these. You know, and their doctors are like, just push through, you know, just keep going. Because once you you know, you're on it for a couple weeks, you know, that some of those side effects should, should reduce. Um, he's like, what's ha- what else is happening besides blocking that receptor that's making them sick? And Dr. Lee said, well, these receptors in our brain are not isolated receptors. They're connected to other hormones that control our body. So a domino of things could also happen, which is why it does need to be done under medical supervision. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. There are side effects that you need to manage. Uh, and and there's so, so there are other ways to manage weight that are way more aligned with our humanity. You know, if you want to eat, eat the right things at the right time. Let your metabolism take care of you instead of things like prescription drugs. That's the ideal approach. He said, it does concern me the the vast number of people lining up to take these because as a scientist and doctor, this wasn't what this drug was originally designed for. He's like the thin people who just want to get thinner. The side effect profile is large. And we don't have long-term studies besides, you know, for people that have taken it for specific medical conditions like diabetes. And Ed said, we're going to get into all those healthier ways to lose weight and metabolism uh, in just a second. But just two more questions about these, these weight loss drugs. He's like, one, is there something about these drugs that's causing glucose regulation? Is that why diabetics are using it? Or is it simply just an appetite suppressant? And Dr. Lee said, it's fundamentally mainly an appetite suppressant. He said, my background is drug development. 
I've helped with over 43 FDA-approved drugs. And what happens in drug development is there are always additional benefits or side effects other than what the researchers are specifically you know, looking for in whatever condition they're currently researching. And those benefits or side effects could be for a different condition altogether. And so if you can harness harness those those um, those benefits for those other conditions that can be incredibly useful for example metformin you know this is this is also used for diabetics he said but it's also been proven effective for the symptoms of long covid it can also help reduce the risk of certain types of cancer so there is a silver lining in rediscovering new uses of pharmaceuticals So I'm not denigrating where these weight loss drugs came from. What I'm more concerned with is everyone is jumping on this bandwagon when there are much better, safer ways to control weight than a prescription drug. And Ed said, it's funny you mentioned metformin because I have friends who have been prescribed metformin for diabetes and they're switching to these semaglutide shots because it's like metformin on steroids for their weight loss. Or at least that's that's how Ed's describing it. He said, the people I know that have taken this for weight loss, I don't know. He's like, they just don't look right to me. He's like, just, just, just talking aesthetically. He said, they don't look healthy. Is that because people get nutrient deficient? I've had friends that lose weight from working out and eating right, and they just look fitter and better than the people that are losing weight on these shots. And so Dr. Lee said... There are a few things going on here. You know, one, to be fit and healthy, we want to eat food and nutrients and for our metabolism to regulate everything in a reasonable way. So when you take a shot that prevents you from wanting your nutrients, it's denying a basic human instinct. He said there's there there's a saying that we should listen to our body And this is basically like putting an earplug so we can't even hear our body. And so nutrient deficiency is definitely the first issue. The second issue is to artificially promote weight loss like these drugs do for people who aren't needing it medically for a specific condition. You know, you can lose weight in strange places and develop something called ozempic face. So you just don't look right. And that's really, you know, what happens when you mess with the body's engine. You know, people should lose weight in a in a more balanced way, in a way that's both right for our body and our mind. And then the third consideration, you know, back to these side effects, all prescription drugs have side effects. And I doubt people are resting, are reading all the fine print. He said, and doctors, you know, they need to properly follow up and track these patients. And, you know, some are great and some do that and some don't. And, and Ed said, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going by looks. But if people have lost 40 pounds, I guess that must be healthier than carrying around that weight. But now let's turn to your other work. He said, uh, he said, the, the process of angiogenesis. Can you just explain that to us? And so Dr. Lee said, now, just breaking from this, this podcast for a second, I, I was aware, I was curious what they were going to talk about with angiogenesis, because I've studied the, the term angiogenesis as it relates to cannabis, because I'm in the cannabis industry. And what we know about cannabis is there are anti-cancer proper, uh, properties where it can, um, you know, help prevent the new formation of cancer cells. So, you know, it can halt the angiogenesis of cancer cells. So that was always really fascinating to me with, you know, cannabis and cancer research. And so I was kind of curious how this was going to relate to what Ed and Dr. Lee talked about. So Dr. Lee said it's about how our blood vessels grow and circulate. You know, angiogenesis is really the development of new blood cells. And so the system plays a huge factor in health because it's how our body circulates oxygen nutrients throughout our body. So when our blood cell blood vessels are healthy, you're healthy. And when they're not, you get sick and vice versa. So sometimes an illness can damage blood cells 
And I started a nonprofit that looks at angiogenesis and blood vessels and how it connects health and disease by looking at a common thread. He said, we can harness our blood vessels to work for us rather than against us. And Ed said, I didn't know that the body had the ability to create new blood. He said, I, but I, I, he's, he's like, I also didn't realize that it could cut back on the amount of blood vessels that you need. So he said, will you talk about that for a second? And so Dr. Lee said, you know, our body has the ability to, of course, create new blood vessels, but also to groom our blood vessels like a lawn is being landscaped. And, and what that does is it ensures that there aren't an overabundance of blood vessels that could create disease. So our, what our body does is it scours for when we need extra blood cells or if we need less in some areas. And so Ed said, so with cancer, it seems that there's an excessive growth of vessels surrounding a particular area. Is that right? Whereas with heart attack or stroke, there's a deficiency of blood vessels or with things like hair loss. And Dr. Lee said, or erectile dysfunction. And so Ed was like, well, so it's a lack of blood vessels. Is, he said, is it a lack of blood vessels in general or is it the functioning of existing ones? And Dr. Lee said, it's either there are too few blood vessels or they've died back, or it could also be that they're just not functioning properly. You know, maybe they're not delivering the oxygen or nutrients that are needed. And so Ed said, so if someone has cancer cells or a tumor, is the idea that you're, that you want the body to restrict blood vessel growth so that you can choke that disease. And Dr. Lee said, we are all actually constantly forming cancers in our body all the time. Cancers form when there are mutations or mistakes genetically in our body. And we have 40 trillion cells. So there's lots of room for error. You know, our, our body basically has to copy, paste itself pretty much every day. Um, and it's going to make mistakes, you know, with, ge with the genetic formation of cells. And these mistakes or mutations can form cancer, but they're so small and there's no blood source feeding them. So our immune system just sweeps them away. But occasionally cancer cells figure out how to hijack the system and release chemicals that act like fertilizers that cause blood vessels to grow something called uh, torsin, which could enable it to grow 16,000 times the size in just two weeks. And so, and the same blood vessels that feed the cancer allow cancer cells to escape into circulation, which is when metast like metastasizing starts. And that's when, you know, people have a big problem. So one of the big breakthroughs in modern medicine has been understanding this fundamental principle of cancer and the fact that the body can naturally groom blood vessels and prevent them from growing. We can actually use medicine or diet to prevent the body from allowing blood vessels to feed cancer. And Ed's like, this is huge. Let's talk diet. Diet as it relates to inflammation. So when there is inflammation in the body, is it the blood vessels that are inflamed? And Dr. Lee said blood vessels are there from, from birth and they function like a highway with all the cells running through it, delivering all the oxygen and nutrients. Inflammation is like pouring gas on the road and lighting it on fire. Now traffic is going to slow down. The road might bubble up and melt. Traffic might stop completely and you'll have all kinds of problems. So inflammation in one spot is bad enough. You know, for example, if you need a root canal, your tooth is on fire and you actually need to drill it out and repair it um, because the blood flow is disrupted and, and all kinds of, of, you know, pain is happening. And, and so you need to fix it. He said, now think of systemic inflammation. Now, instead of a localized fire, it's all over your body, like a forest fire getting out of control. You're not going to feel great. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people, inflammation can actually trigger cancer cells. 
And inflammation can also damage blood vessels. So inflammation is terrible for vascular health. Inflammation, now inflammation does serve an important purpose. It points out the areas that are in distress, but then we need it to go away. So chronic inflammation is really a very bad thing. And Ed said, so does food affect inflammation? And Dr. Lee said, 100%. He said, let's first talk about foods that can cause inflammation. So fried food, ultra-processed foods, soda, they all have been shown to trigger inflammation. You know, and it's fine if you eat like this occasionally, but some people eat like this all the time. You know, junk food, fried food. You know, I knew someone that used to have two, like, six-packs of soda every single day. Uh, and, and Ed's like, you're real big on pointing out how bad soda is, huh? And Dr. Lee's like, well, a typical can of soda, you know, real full sugar soda has nine teaspoons of granulated sugar. Again, a soda every once in a while is fine. But if I put nine teaspoons of sugar in a glass and told you to eat it, you'd be like, uh, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So we need to think about, you know, what we put in our body and also how our body responds to that, 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 what we're putting into it. So if you're putting all kinds of ultra processed foods in your body with artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, and fried food, this literally sets your body on fire. So your body will try to naturally lower it, but if it's constant, your body's going to lose. The silver lining is that there are lots of foods that have natural anti-inflammatory effects. Things like watermelons and pineapple and guava. They're mainly fruits and vegetables. But, you know, think of like the Mediterranean food culture. We've drifted so far away from foods of humanity to this industrialized, processed world. But you know, if we rediscover our history of like Asian and Mediterranean food culture, you know, those are blue zone cuisines where people live the longest. You know, they just sleep, eat, have less stress, move a lot. It's just natural ways of preventing inflammation and disease. And so Ed Ed said, now what about exercising? Can exercise actually cause inflammation? And Dr. Lee got excited about this. He's like, well, when you work out, you're actually breaking down muscle and your body regenerates and you grow new blood vessels. And then you're actually recruiting stem cells that are stored in bone marrow to repair and rebuild. So you take one step back with exercise, but then two steps forward with the repairing, regenerating effects. So you'll be bigger and better. So Ed said, So the repairing process is beneficial. I always wondered about people who, you know, work out a lot, but then eat all the processed protein bars and, you know, sugar-filled pre-workout drinks. And I wonder if the combination is good or bad. And Dr. Lee said that the whole high-performance fitness world is about breaking down the processes of growing muscle, increasing strength, fitness, and endurance, and seeing if we can add the specific things we've identified to enhance that process. And, you know, what we realize is food as medicine research is you can't just take one thing, like a whole bunch of one protein from one source, or, you know, bone broth will fix everything because it has collagen in it, and make it seem like you can reduce it to that level of simplicity. You know, we, lead, we mislead ourselves into thinking there are easy fixes for things. Uh, the second thing is we may be ignoring the better benefits we get from whole foods by being hardcore and focusing on a few products to build you up. You may not be eating in a balanced way with enough nutrients. So there's a whole galaxy of micronutrients we are discovering every day that are amazing, including micronutrients that can fire up your metabolism. You can actually eat foods to burn fat, believe it or not. So that got me really excited when he said that. I'm like, ooh, tell me more, Dr. Lee. Uh, So Ed said, okay, let's go. Let's go there. Some of... um, so, so Ed was like, you know, so I imagine kale, tomatoes, watermelon, that stuff that you already mentioned, you know, give us a few more. And Dr. Lee said green tea, coffee, dark chocolate, 
avocados, chestnuts, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, chicory, escarole, things like radishes, carrots, artichoke, seafood like shellfish. All of these foods can activate your metabolism and your body's natural defense system. Great whole foods like this that are prepared well in a better way for your health. This is such a better way to manage health than, than, than a shot that cuts off your appetite. And so I would just like to point out the green tea, dark chocolate, avocados, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, all that stuff is in, a lot of that stuff is in the superfood smoothie, but I'm really excited about what he says about coffee later on. So stay, stay tuned. So then Ed says, let's go back to the soda sugar thing. What about sugar substitute and diet soda? Are some of, is some of that okay for you? Are some better than others like Stevia and Splenda? Is that better than like aspartame? And so Dr. Lee said, it's a big question because we all crave sweet things. And regular sugar in real soda has so much in it. And and the dose really is what makes the poison. So, but in regards to sweetness, he said, I was in medical school when these types of artificial sweeteners became popular. And I always thought something was off. You know, it's not as satisfying. And also some people have gained weight from drinking a lot of these, despite the fact that they don't have real sugar in, and they don't spike your blood sugar. So recent studies have shown that there is a tumble down effect. Okay, insulin doesn't rise, but these chemicals tumble down to your colon and lower intestine where they can destroy your gut health and can disrupt your microbiome. And so the data on this is really compelling. Our gut microbiome is tied into the effectiveness of our metabolism. So this affects our glucose sensitivity and people start gaining weight. And so Ed said, okay, now let's talk about metabolism. A lot of people say when they were younger, they had a faster metabolism. You know, then I hit 30 and it slowed down. So can you break down the different phases of metabolism? You said it's not really tied to age, right? And, and Dr. Lee said, you know, I used to think the same exact thing, that some people had a faster metabolism. You know, you, you see some super skinny people who never gain weight and you're like, oh, that person has a fast metabolism, you know, it, it, as opposed to somebody that's always been overweight and you think, oh, maybe that person has a slower metabolism. He said, but recently there was a huge and important research study that was released. It was actually the largest study on metabolism that was ever released. He said it was from Herman Ponzer from Duke University, and there were 90 researchers. He led 90 researchers in this study. There were 6,000 people took part, and it was a study on metabolism. And so what they did was they had all the people in this study drink some water, and they manipulated the H2O so that they could measure it. And they included all age ranges from newborns and 90-year-olds, um, And they measured metabolism through breath, through urine, and in the bloodstream. And here's what they found. They found that every human goes through four stages of metabolism. This is really fascinating stuff. He said, when we're born, our metabolism skyrockets. And it's 50% faster than when we are adults. He said, uh, then from 1 to 20 years old, our metabolism uh, is is basically uh, downturns toward adult levels. He said. Then, from twenty year olds, when when you're from twenty to sixty years old, our metabolism is designed to be rock stable. It doesn't change. Our body wants it to be stable. And then, from sixty years old to ninety years old, our metabolism does decrease by about seventeen percent. And Ed said, well, what about hormones? And Dr. Lee said, hormones play a huge role. He's like, they don't just push one button. They deposit fat in areas for specific purposes. You know, women, for example, as they get older and develop more hormones, have curvier hips, that type of thing. 
he said, so why do people then end up gaining weight in middle age? Like, why does that happen if our metabolism is meant to be rock solid? And he said, well, life happens, really. You know, when you're in your 40s, 40, 45, you know, we have a career, we have a lot of us have a family and stress and, you know, financial stress, life stress, kids stress. He says so much is happening. You know, a lot of people end up losing sleep because of all the stuff going on and they end up working out less. And when we sleep less, it affects our brain and we end up making worse decisions like, you know, going for that easy bag of chips over, you know, the carrot sticks or, you know, deciding to skip that workout because you've had a long, stressful day and you just don't feel like it. So it's really that our habits get worse. And and then on top of that, there are hormonal changes, which can basically pickle your brain in different ways. And, and excess body fat, the excess body fat releases hormones that also can affect metabolism. And Ed said, oh, so this is why when fat was stripped out of the study, you could then see metabolism differences. Because that, I, I forgot to mention that when I was reviewing that study, but that's one of the things that they did to measure everyone equally. They removed the count of body fat from all of the subjects. And so Ed's talking about, so that's how you were able to see different metabolism differences because the actual presence of body fat is a self-fulfilling prophecy. He's like, that's great news because if you can get rid of excess body fat, it seems like your metabolism would be like anyone else's. So just knowing that is pretty huge. Are there any other ways that food can increase metabolism that we should discuss? And then also regarding the gut microbiome, is there something we should be proactively doing to protect that area to improve our metabolism, weight loss, and just, you know, overall wellness? And, and so Dr. Lee said that body fat is important to our health. He said it's an organ that can release hormones that help us draw in energy and, and cooperate with insulin. And brown fat can fire up like a gas range in your kitchen. So there's white fat and brown fat. You know, the white fat is what jiggles. It's under our arms, thighs, but, you know, we don't like it. It's unsightly, but it's not the most dangerous. The most dangerous fat is called visceral fat. Uh, and think of it like packing peanuts into a shipping container. You know, you can fit a lot in, it can, and it can almost crush what's in the box. And in excess, it acts like a glove choking your organs. Then if you light it on fire and it causes inflammation, then the, this causes whole body inflammation that can set you up for heart disease and damage blood vessels and, you know, puts you at increased risk for cancer and probably dementia as well. And it, cel it accelerates the cellular aging process. So it's all fat, it's all bad, and it comes from excess visceral fat. And the inflammation details normal hormones. And and suddenly, uh, and suddenly people can't tell if they're hungry or not. Like, so what, what he's saying here is that when you have inflammation it, and, and you have excess fat, it can throw off your hormones because your the fat is releasing other hormones and, and suddenly people can't tell if they're hungry or not. Like, should I be absorbing more energy? You know, if you don't want to, to you don't want to suck it out you know, with like lipo or burn it out, you, you want to right size it. Uh, the other kind of fat, brown fat, it's not lumpy and bumpy. It's not close to the skin. So you can't see it. It's paper thin and close to the bone. It's plastered around our neck. It's underneath our breastbone, underneath our arms, like a girdle, uh, a little in our belly. And what happens is in cold temperature, like, you know, like when you cold plunge, it fires up our brown fat like a butane lighter, like a torch. In order to get that flame, it has to draw energy from somewhere and it draws it from white fat. So brown fat fights harmful white fat by drawing down the energy. It uses the ammo of the fat so cold plunges can do this, but there's also foods that can do this, like 
tomatoes and avocados and carrots and broccoli and Brussels sprouts, bok choy, onions, garlic, pears, all these fire up brown fat in humans. You can actually see waist circumference shrink because that visceral fat shrinks. And this has been proven. Even in the middle aisle, things like beans and chickpeas and lentils, olive oil, capers, dried mushrooms, chili peppers, you know, that heat or zing from chili peppers is caused by capsaicin. There's actually capsaicin receptors on your tongue, and it triggers your brain to release a hormone called uh, norepinephrine, which fires up brown fat, and it's a stress hormone, which is why you sweat. So, you know, so why inject ourselves to block our human nature when there are so many natural things we can do and natural foods that we can eat that can fire up our, you know, brown fat in our metabolism? He said, of course, you know, you can eat too much. And of course, there are certainly smarter times to eat throughout the day for our metabolism that are better for us. But part of enjoying the human experience is to enjoy food. So when he talked about this, just a side side note from this podcast review, when he's talking about how garlic and again, avocados and onions, all these things that I eat so much of, when he's saying that these fire up brown fat that's exciting to me. It's like makes me it, it like things like this, learning science like this, it, it excites me to want to continue to like do these biohacking things, right? And try to like, I want to go get his book and incorporate as many of these foods into my everyday life as possible. You know, imagine eating a whole day of just these anti-inflammatory, brown fat, energizing foods, maybe and doing a cold plunge. It's like, hello, it's just so cool that you can you can hack your aging process this way and your fat burning process this way. And a lot of these foods that he mentions are in my superfood weight loss anti-aging smoothie. So it makes me feel good that a lot of the stuff that I kind of hypothesized from researching what superfoods do, like way back in the day, you know, there's a lot of research proving efficacy here. And so that that excites me. Um, so getting back to this review, Ed said, okay, so when you say that there are better times to eat, I assume you believe in intermittent fasting, like feeding windows, right? And Dr. Lee's like, I do. He's like, here's what I tell people about intermittent fasting. It's a trend. It's a fad, but it's also very real. And it's how our body functions. He said, when we are sleeping, we are not eating, we are naturally fasting, which is why breakfast is to break the fast. Also, when you're not eating, your insulin goes down, your metabolism shifts gears into fat burning mode. So during the day, when we're eating, you put food in your mouth, insulin goes up, and your body takes that energy, moves it into your cells, then it stores the extra as fat. So you're essentially putting fuel in your food fuel tank naturally. Then when you're sleeping and fasting, your metabolism goes into burning mode. So when you're sleeping, you're actually burning fat. And when he said that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That just, I, I like the way that he's positioning that. And so Ed's, and you can, Ed's getting all ex, like excited about this. And so he's saying, so... You're saying during the day, when you're up and eating, your body is in storage mode. Then when you sleep or are not eating, you go into burning mode. And, and Dr. Lee said, the simple way is to get your body to do the heavy lifting from a metabolism, from a metabolism fighting body fat perspective. Think about this. The night before you go to sleep, eat dinner at 7 p.m., Eat for the hour, you know, put the dishes away, you know, get, you know, get, do your nightly routine, you know, maybe, you know, you're getting, getting ready and you're done by 8 p.m. eating, but then don't snack after 8 p.m. Okay. Just don't eat after that. Then say you go to bed around 11 and you get up around 7 a.m. 
so you get eight hours of sleep. So between 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., you'll be fat burning while you're sleeping. And if you didn't snack, you gained those three extra hours of fat burning. So with that eight hours of sleep, that's 11 hours. But I'll tell you what I do when I wake up. You know, I don't just do what my mom taught me to do. I don't rush down, eat breakfast, and head out the door. I take my time. You know, I take a shower, I get dressed, maybe go for a walk, check my emails. So that's at least another hour. So that adds up to 12 hours of fat burning, which means 50% of my day is spent burning fat. And that's called let your body do the heavy lifting. I love that he positions it like that. And Ed's all excited. He's like, I've never heard it explained that way. He's like, so when you're putting food in your mouth, you're storing. And when you're not eating, you're burning. It's so simple. And it makes sense. You know, a lot of people I've had on just say that intermittent fasting is really just amounting to calorie restriction. And and Dr. Lee's like, well, when you're eating these foods I mentioned earlier, and there are 150 of them listed in my book. He said, these those foods fire up the brown fat. So if you're eating those foods during the day, you, you're also burning fat during the day too. So, you know, two things to mention also about intermittent fasting. You know, there's a way to do it where you're burning for 16 hours a day and only eating for eight hours, which means, you know, yeah, you could lose a lot of weight. But if you only fast for 12 it still works. It just doesn't burn quite as intensely. But do you know where that 16, uh, you know, off eating and eight hour eating came from? He said it actually came from a mouse study. And the researcher was in a romantic relationship where they had a deal that she could only be at the lab for eight hours. So the mice just followed suit. He's like, so that's just where it came from, this arbitrary timeline, just because the researcher didn't want to, like, lose her relationship. And so so Ed's like, so I just want to make a comment about this before I, I finish this this review, and we're almost done. I always said that the intermittent fasting does not work for me, that I cannot do it. But when I hear it explained by Dr. Lee, I mean, first of all, it does excite me to to think that you're just in burning fat mode when you're not eating, right? So it does it's still like and I heard this last night where, you know, it's like it's like 9 p.m. while I'm, you know, listening to this podcast and reviewing it and I was I was getting hungry because again, I save a lot of my calories for the end of the day because that's when I like to eat. And so, you know, I ate, I was snacking last night and snacking on, you know, you know, I had a strawberry, a couple strawberries. I had, you know, a piece of dark chocolate. I had a handful of popcorn, you know, and I ate a very late dinner. That's just what I like to do. That it, it, it's also honestly how I sleep best. Like I could never do what Dr. Lee does because I cannot go to bed hungry. If I'm up for three hours and I haven't eaten anything, my stomach starts to growl again. And I can't go to bed with my stomach growling. It, it, it affects my sleep. So I know that I need to go to bed with food in my stomach, it, that I've eaten probably about a, you know, a half an hour to an hour before bed. So last night I went to bed around 10.30 and I stopped eating right before 10.30. I mean, I had my last strawberry around 10.30. And so I was in bed. I probably fell asleep maybe by 11, woke up at six and let's see, it's, and I, I, you know, I, I worked out already and I don't do anything but drink coffee when I get up in the morning. I drink black coffee with some collagen in it. And so that keeps my, my fast going, right? So even though I eat right before bed, like I haven't eaten today and it's, it's it's now 11:32 so so it's been 12 it's been over 12 hours now so so i so i am intermittent fasting i just i but i just don't stop eating right like hours before bed i eat right up till bed pretty much maybe 30 minutes to an hour but but i still 
I wait so long to eat in the morning till like usually the afternoon almost, like 11 or 12, that now my stomach is growling. Like right now, I don't, hopefully you can't hear it on this podcast, but my stomach has been growling for probably the last like 30 minutes. Um, and I'm really just not that hungry in the morning anyway. And I like to like drink my black coffee, go to the bathroom, kind of get rid of everything from the night before. And then, you know, TMI, but that is, that is what I like to do. And I think it's healthy because it is like regularity is really healthy. And then, you know, I have a lot of caffeine, a lot of coffee and wait till you learn about the coffee thing in just a second. I'm going to finish this podcast review and the coffee thing is so exciting. So anyway, I drink my coffee have my bowel movement, and then I'll eat, you know, I'll, I usually start with either salmon, just like I'll, I'll go eat, eat just pure protein, which also keeps you in fat burning mode because there's no carbs. Um, so your body still burns stored fat. Um, and so, but, you know, once I eat my superfood smoothie, you know, then, then I'm going back into storage mode, you know, per Dr. Lee. But I have to say, like, I've heard of all these concepts, you know, before. It's just the way he's positioning it and the way he's saying these things and describing them. It's it's just it's it it feels new. It feels slightly different and exciting. And and it's so, so interesting to hear about how scientifically our body functions and how we can increase our metabolism through the foods that we're eating. I've always thought that, and I love hearing it from a doctor and a researcher here. So, okay. So anyway, then Ed wanted to talk about aging, which was so exciting. This is such a great podcast. So he said, let's talk about aging. Is there anything in our diet or nutrition to slow the aging process? Or is it just doing these things you you mentioned? And so Dr. Lee said, we age from the day we are born. The issue is that is what we are doing to our cells that can speed up our cells' natural aging process. For example, people who smoke or drink excess alcohol. It's the ethanol in alcohol that causes skin cells to age faster. The sun, of course, the UV and UVB rays. If you're stuck in traffic, a lot of people don't think about the sun they're taking in while they're stuck in their car in LA traffic. He goes, so what does our body have as a defense? Well, our own DNA can repair itself. It can repair that damage. But the question is, how can we speed up that process of repairing? Well, food can do that. You know, take tomatoes or watermelon. If you eat some of these before you go into the sun, it can help protect your skin from that sun damage because it has a compound called lycopene. Um, Coffee, this is exciting. Coffee, just one to four cups of coffee a day will slow down the burn of your life fuse. It can actually get, you can actually gain months or years of your life back when you measure the burn rate on your cells simply by drinking organic coffee. Organic coffee, he said, is the best because it contains something called chlorogenic acid. And this is something that the the coffee bean plant will produce as a natural defense against bugs. So obviously, if pesticides are being used you know, the the plan is not going to create as much of this chlorogenic acid. But, you know, if it's if it's organic, then it's going to produce a lot of this chlorogenic acid because it's defending itself against the bugs. And, you know, this compound can actually slow down your aging process and not coffee that has all of the sugar and the the flavorings, the artificial sweeteners, you know, it needs to be just, you know, pure coffee. He said, and I, and I would venture to guess I, that the collagen is okay. Like I'm not putting anything artificial, it's just collagen. Um, I think I, I, do, I do need to check to make sure that my, I don't think my coffee's organic. I always buy it from, from I, I always buy uh, my coffee from Marshall's or from TJ Maxx because it's on sale and it's really good and cheap. Um, 
but I have to look next time to see if they actually have organic because I don't think it's organic. I'm going to go look right after this. I might start getting organic coffee. I, I actually will start getting organic coffee after the rest of what I'm currently using is gone specifically because he just said it can literally turn back the aging process. I cannot explain how exciting that is to hear and just fascinating. So lots of really good uh, little tidbits of education in this. You know, I learned through this podcast that I actually am intermittent fasting, that a lot, like all the foods I put into my superfood smoothie help me burn fat um, during the day even, and obviously at night, um, that a lot of the foods that I naturally eat have been proven to slow down aging, you know, burn fat, all of the things that I had always hoped and thought they did, but actually now there's scientific evidence about it. So exciting, exciting stuff. I hope you enjoyed this podcast review. Um, again, more episodes coming. So if you want more than just two episodes a month, please subscribe to my premium content, Craving More. Um, and please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at the Diet Obsessed and Diet Obsessed Podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, please DM me. Uh, go check out the Superfood Smoothie Anti-Aging Weight Loss Recipe on my website, thedietobsessed.com. More good content coming. And until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced week.